0: I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says there's no wrong way to make a family. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise for the Grouch Anthem? No, no, no. With a Grouch Anthem, you stay sitting down, down in front there. Now brace yourself, I'm gonna sing. Grouches of the world. Boy, I'm just going to keep recycling that one Because it still makes me laugh <laughs> This movie is that um, That 30 Rock joke <laughs> It's just a super super diverse <laughs> family uh, it's, it's even more diverse Because it has a bunch of big fucking birds A trash can monster Yeah. So hold on
1: But like again it's a movie aimed at kids Whose message is diversity is good So I don't think you're starting off shitting on it, so hey, where are we Love to watch? We're Aaron and Pete. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies around that theme. This this month we're doing Muppets Take November, and I was dismayed to learn before recording episode three of this month that uh, as we as we took a little detour into a movie that um, is one of my favorites from childhood, something I've watched. Literally a hundred times in the last couple of years, because when my daughter was was uh, three or four, it became one of those movies that that was the only thing she wanted to watch for three months, and I, I loved it every time. Great songs, wonderful message, all good characters. Reminds you how different Sesame Street was then when I was growing up compared to now. Which, while still some good stuff, it definitely has like moved into the YouTube generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Pete's like,
0: "Yeah, you said great, that a can't wait." With specific old man, uh, old man uh, acidity that I just really Well, appreciate.
1: it's it's the YouTube generation. The YouTube generation. <laughs> <laughs> All you g- learning how to tie ties properly and cook stuff and <laughs> how to check check furnaces to see uh, how to change parts of the furnace. How uh, to uncluck a dishwasher? Um, <laughs> the fucking YouTube generation. I'm just. I'm gonna list. I'm gonna list YouTube only for its most helpful things <laughs> in a complaining way. <laughs> like not any of the bad stuff. Just
0: like good ways for references. Back in my day, you had to call over six of the boys, which were six union guys that would come over and smoke in your kitchen and yell at you yeah. about not keeping your garbage disposal clean. And that was the only way to do it. You couldn't get helpful tips
1: literally for every model, and we like. <laughs> <laughs> it because we had disposable income because because Reagan had destroyed the middle class so it was like oh yeah fix our shit all the time doesn't matter oh don't know how to don't know how to mend a pair of pants sewing oh we didn't go to informational videos we threw away the pants Even more expensive pants and then sometimes just tore them on purpose because (laughs) who cares? The top income bracket got taxed at a reasonable rate and it all trickled (laughs) down to us. That fat cat Eisenhower. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I have a lot. I love this movie. I mean, a lot of it's nostalgia, right? Like I saw it as a kid. I saw it growing up. um, Can you reiterate the title of that that
0: film? Oh, Sesame Street presents "Follow That Bird." I'm really glad you did the full and title because it made me hard to find the movie because I was just typing in "Follow That Bird," and it then made you, the it made you <laughs> it made you hard. It it made me hard. <laughs> I think it's it made it hard. It, <laughs> but it made it hard. you hard. It made me hard because um, of the difficulty that it put in front of me. So,
1: so yeah, I'm all excited to talk about. It. We we're supposed to have a guest, Joy Lee. Unfortunately, is a little under the weather. She loves this movie too. I was excited to talk to to three people who love the movie, and then Peter, right before
0: recording, is like, "Yeah, it's it's fine. I'm not didn't do all much right. for me." Yeah, we'll we'll figure out where I land on this thing. It's just it's it's something that I didn't grow up with. Um, and I But you said you saw it as a kid and liked it quite a bit. I have specific memories of Big Bird walking down the street, but when I was watching it this time I didn't have those those um uh, nostalgia echoes that I usually get when I'm watching a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Like so I I maybe Did you same, think it was Big Bird from the Muppet movie? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> remember, maybe. I think I I don't know if it I don't know if it made it
1: into the episode, but I thought like because I saw this first and then the Muppet movie, and I didn't realize that like I thought, oh, that's super cool. They're referencing Follow That Bird in the Muppet movie, which they were not. Uh, it's just Big Bird likes to,
0: likes
1: likes to walk down him. the street. He likes to go hitch. He's a streetwalker.
0: Yeah, you Big can Bird's also see when walker. you're. When you're watching The Hitcher, you can see them drive past Big Bird uh, walking around down the side of the road as well. Well, he only hitches in one movie, but he's streetwalking
1: in both. Why are you doing this? <laughs> You're a smart bird. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> um. Well, hold on. Since, so you didn't like it. Now, since we don't have a guest, though, uh, do you want to grab Molly? It, right. or... she,
0: nuance is important. Did Molly like it more than you? Your no, wife? No. She liked it more than uh, oh. the Watchmen movie, movie that we watched this week, but uh, it's not really an interesting comparison, is it? No, it's very specific (laughs) (laughs) They both feature Um, big yellow
1: characters Even though this is coming out next week And um, The episode we recorded last night uh, Martyrs is coming out In like two months Um, I was like, this is a weird Back to back recording sesh Martyrs, one night Sensory Street presents Follow That Bird Night two
0: Kind of a different dynamic couldn't agree more. Uh, um, yeah. I'm really glad that we did. What I would have loved for Joey Lee to yeah. be on this episode, but I, I, uh, I think yes. we'll, I think we'll be able to find that nuanced middle space because I did, I didn't hate it. It's a, it's an extremely pleasant movie, and a lot of things I did find uh, likable about the movie is because it's, it's, it's got that Jim Henson energy, that Jim Henson magic that I, I love so much. But we'll, we'll get there.
1: We'll get there. So yeah. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, Sesame Street in general because I feel like that's a really good starting uh, point. We talked a lot about like Muppets, uh Kermit, the ga- the whole gang, but Sesame Street while uh, while related is usually probably your first entry point to Jim Henson's creation, the World of Muppets for for most kids. So, um I uh so Se- Sesame Street for me was like the show I watched as a kid more than anything. It was um, – and I really liked – you know, so, I started watching it probably – I was born in 83. So – and I saw this movie in theaters. This is the first movie I ever saw in theaters. I think probably the first movie I ever saw, period. Um, and it, so, I was – and I was two and a half when this movie came I think came out August of 85. So, um, I was almost two and a half. Um, and I was just obsessed with Sesame Street and um, – just watched it uh, constantly, even though we, you know, there's other shows that I really liked. Uh, Fraggle rock, like maybe when I was four, but like Sesame street was actually a show I continue to watch. I think people age out of Sesame street um, more now, actually. And that's kind of my theory that I want to get into a little bit. I think it's easier to age out of Sesame street now because Sesame streets current mode is like targeting a little bit more. Like I would say
0: three to four year olds um but back Actually, can in like, I jump the in there 80s really quickly? that might be yeah. why, why i don't have a lot of um as much of uh, an affection for sesame street as i do for the muppets because i watched it before i was capable of forming memories yeah um uh that makes sense um <laughs> i watched it like around probably yeah two to four and then the muppets got pushed into my house and you were the youngest too so like for me Yes. I mean, I, I was I was
1: never of age for Barney. Like, when Barney, like, premiered, I think I was nine. But I watched fucking Barney every single morning as we got ready to school because, like, I had younger brothers. I am the oldest of ten. So, I continued to watch these shows for a while. But Sesame Street was one I very purposely did. But I, I think that's because, like, the Sesame Street of the 80s, which also featured very heavily a lot of, like, 70s and 60s clips, was – aged more towards like a 4 to 6 to 7 year old audience 4 to 8 as opposed to now where i really think it's it's like leaning into the 3 to 4 year olds and i, I hate jumping on the bandwagon like that um kid you know uh kid shows ha- have been dumbed down or or something like that but i do think that the kid shows of the 80s weren't they, they didn't have this notion of like shows for preschoolers as much. It was more shows for kindergartners. Like you look at something like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and yeah, that was a show I watched when I was 3 years old and 4 years old. But now it feels like compared to what like they put on TV for my kids when they were 3 or 2, it's just it's just radically different. It's more uh it doesn't have the patience or
0: the like Mr. Rogers' expectation is slow. of uh, it's slow, slow um, but and quiet. I don't mean that in a derogatory way or a negative way. No. I mean, in a, it's, a, it's a slow, quiet, peaceful show. Like, the show is matched to his his uh, sensibilities. Well, and you can tell. So, I watch um, – I've shown uh, my kids some Mr.
1: Rogers' Neighborhood, and they basically have, like, an equivalent of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which you may know about, Peter, called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is a cartoon yeah, version. That, yep, DT. Um, it, like, it, it is very much not a, it's a kind of a typical cartoon show. Show They do go, they basically stay in the land of make-believe. It has a lot of songs. It has a lot of bright colors. It's a good show, but it doesn't have, like, the patience or the expectation of a level of understanding or really asking kids to come to it. That's what I think is so interesting about Sesame Street of, like, the 70s and 80s specifically. It. It was a show that was a little bit more targeted for, like, five- and six-year-olds. But, like, I loved it as a two- and a three-year-old, and I loved it as a five- and six-year-old because it was so, like, what Wonder Shows in was mimicking, which is, like, all these crazy segments combined into one and these really clever and funny jokes and really catchy songs is, like, is Sesame Street of the 70s and 80s. It was really frantic, really crazy, and really interesting to the point that, like, I bought some of those, like... um Sesame Street uh Best Of from the 60s. They have, like, the first 20 season highlights. And I bought all those DVDs. So those DVDs, by the way, say, this is 100% true, uh, not intended for children. The Sesame Street shows, it might not be phrased exactly like that, but, like, the Sesame Street they they literally don't want parents to buy like oh classic Sesame Street from the seventies highlights of the first five seasons and expect to like show it to your kids that they'll enjoy it like it's on the DVD warning parents so so that tells is you that how much Sesame of the Street subject
0: says- matter they tackle or because their their takes on stuff are going to be a little outdated uh, compared to what they would do on the modern iteration no no like, the,
1: no, no 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 it's just it, it is just like
0: it, it is more
1: like. Again, it's just targeting a different audience or the audience itself was expected to, like, meet it at its level. And uh, there's nothing, like, offensive. It's not like the old Warner Brothers cartoons where it's like, just to let you know, <laughs> this one saying- where Big Bird dresses up like Hitler. So, but it's all <laughs> satire. But your kids might not understand why Donald Duck is Hitler in this one.
0: Um, I mean, like, to, the, uh, I mean, what, well, how far does it go back? The 60s? <laughs> 69 it's, it's actually we're recording this the day after its
1: 50th uh, anniversary premiering on television
0: uh got it interesting we sometimes have really good timing aaron i know i know but i i think you'd find some of those like segments
1: very like if you got one of those dvd copies and was like this is interesting and some of them like flashback a lot of nostalgia for me and i i've shown some of them uh to to maya as well Um, But it is just very interesting how the show and and kind of children's television in general has evolved. But like Sesame Street, I remember watching the episode where Mr. Hooper dies, which is an episode of uh, where literally so the Mr. Hooper is Mr. Hooper's store. It's kind of the the store that they're in while they're uh, planning in this movie of like watching the cars and stuff like that, uh, where they're going. The like restaurant market store and like that. Is an episode where like literally like Big Bird's like, oh, they have to explain to Big Bird what death is. And like Big Bird is like has a note and it's like, well, OK, I got it. He's gone for a while, but I did write him a letter. I'm going to give it to him when when he comes back. And like they're like, no, like Big Bird, he's not coming back. Like and and there's an episode like for the first 10 seasons or so, maybe it's seven or eight seasons, like uh, Snuffy was his imaginary friend. And no one believed Big Bird when he said he had talked to Mr. Snuffleupagus. And then, like, the creators of Sesame Street got, like, things from parents that was like, hey, you're kind of teaching kids that, like, they might not be believed by parents. So they have an episode where everyone discovers Mr. Snuffleupagus and they have everyone apologize to Big Bird. We are so sorry. We should have believed you. And then he just became part of it. And it felt like a show that was really trying to not talk down to children – But like, hey, we're going to show you this stuff and it's going to be fun and it's going to be catchy music. But we like are legitimately trying to shape the way that kids think in a consistently positive way. And it doesn't mean that Sesame Street even now always gets things right. But it is a show that like that was their purpose, which is so like different than like other shows I watched later on at the same time where like, yeah, I love Transformers and G.I. Joe – but you go back to those shows and it's like, okay, this is like bad. It's like they, they tossed off 50 episodes in a year. It's to sell toys. Like it's it's just marketing to children where Sesame Street always felt – even to this day where it's a little less enjoyable and, and takes a different path I think in a different audience, it feels like it's it's doing it for – like it, it's trying to be good and teach kids – what being good is all while all while learning, and the last thing I'll say, I know we've been talking a little bit, but I really think what what is ha- what happened to Sesame Street, and I'm not the first person to say this. This isn't my idea, but um, is the switch in protagonists right? Big Bird is who's the protagonist of this movie is six years old. That is what they say all the time. He's supposed to be six years old, and the show. Even though he wasn't like the protagonist in the normal sense of a television show, he was like the main character of Sesame Street for the first 30 years. And the show was aimed at that level and an age where you're learning the difference between right and wrong. You're learning about stuff like death and bigger concepts and learning basic stuff like spelling and stuff like that. And people treat you as like being able to uh, apologize and admit you're wrong and – and have an expectation of forgiveness. And a lot of like – as someone who has a five-and-a-half-year-old, like things really start changing once they get to that age. And they are becoming more and more a person who like recognizes their place of you know, in a universe and the concept of kindness and the concept of not being kind. And eventually, as we all know, that protagonist of the show switched to Elmo. And Elmo is like – he's three on the show. Three-year-olds don't have – they're not learning as much, uh, like le- legitimate, like the building blocks of their foundation. And three-year-olds don't have that concept, like of of right and wrong. They're not learning about where they are, in the place, and parents and other people tend to capitulate to three-year-olds a lot more in that like, yeah, I'm not going to teach you a moral lesson here or right from wrong or something bigger. Like you're either going to get the cookie or you're not going to get the cookie. And you know what? As a parent, sometimes it's easier for you to get the cookie. And there's been a lot of analysis done on the show that like switching to Elmo has actually made the show a lot less educational and also people tend to – like, people told Big Bird when he was wrong and what he needed to learn and how he needed to behave. And people don't say that of Elmo. And Elmo segments are all about, like, using your imagination and playing, which is good for three-year-olds, but it's really changed what the show is focused on. So, and, I, and the last thing I'll say, <laughs> the very last thing I promised, and I know I've said a lot, Peter, but I feel like this is good foundational stuff, is that it is interesting. There was another Sesame Street movie in 1998 called Elmo and Grouchland which is a terrible sloggy boring bad songs all about Elmo didn't fi- ha- didn't have any message besides like you know don't be mean to people it didn't have any interesting celebrity cameos and it was done in like the worst puppetry imaginable and it and then you compare that to this when like even if it didn't work for you holy peter i do think it's trying to make an entertaining movie do some pretty impressive puppetry work tell an interesting story, and still be pretty dynamic uh, throughout. So, uh, yeah, that's a ton. I probably talked for 10 minutes there, but um, I feel like a lot of that's pretty foundational both personally and also just
0: understanding the history of Sesame Street a little bit. No, I don't think you were talking that long. Who's the president again? Peter. Uh, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, no.
1: Wait, was he reelected? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I
0: guarantee Donald Trump did not watch Sesame Street. (laughs) Oh, definitely not. Um, No, no, no. I'm making jokes, but I'm appreciative of you laying the groundwork because I have no, no hard opinions on Sesame Street. I've got no exposure to it. I I haven't come back to it as an adult. Uh, I don't have children to sort of get exposed to the new stuff. Uh, Because you pointed out something uh, I want to say maybe nine hours ago that was uh, that (laughs) – I'm the youngest. <laughs> are the you saying, are you
1: saying I should like separate my thoughts into like separate sections instead of just keep talking?
0: No, it no, it was good. Is that I'm, bad <laughs> podcasting? I'm just encouraging you and giving you shit at the same time. It's just, it's just how I was raised. Um, but thank you. The, uh, being raised as the youngest, I was very often, I had the older generation stuff pushed to me at a earlier age. And then since I was the, the last one out, no one there was no young kid for me to you know filter for right um yeah so that was why it was particularly funny that like my mom used to be very harsh on swearing apparently with my older siblings because i was around and my my older sister was around uh there were four of us mind you um and then by the time that they got to like my sister, who's five years older than me and me, um, my my mom had given up the fight. But my dad ha- kept the fight going because she was like, who is he watch? Who is who's who are we trying to keep him to watch his mouth around? Like <laughs> nobody like it doesn't matter. <laughs> we, we don't want him to swear like in front of our friends, obviously. But like around the house, like I don't give a shit. Um, so, that that was also an interesting part of, of growing up last, but mostly in terms of this context, it was that, like, Sesame Street occupied a very small, short period of my life, same with Barney, <laughs> same with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, and because i was moved up to the uh the kid entertainment for seven-year-olds because when i was two you know i was moved up to the entertainment for seven-year-olds which was probably like a lot of like you know really soft sitcoms like full house and stuff um or you know obviously muppets yeah Muppets is the most important one here, though, because Muppets Proper was the... My family is all pretty fond of the Muppet movies, and that held mm-hmm. on, I think, like, for a long period of time. So even though I have a sibling siblings that are five, seven, and ten years older than me, we were all into the Muppets for a period of time. But, like, nobody yeah. was pushing Sesame Street on me any longer than, you know, when I turned four. <laughs>
1: Well, also it seems like – and I'm not trying to, like, psychoanalyze your childhood, so I apologize if this comes out. But, like, we've definitely talked a lot about our history over doing this podcast for close to four years now. It feels like you, whether related to being the youngest child or just naturally who you were, were trying to uh, – like, consciously trying to shed more childish things or things that people didn't didn't consider adult stuff and moving towards, like, more – adult fare, and even if that adult fare is stuff like Full House or Muppets, it seems like you were always trying to move away from that quickly.
0: No, that's, that's 100%, Fair. True. It's 100% true. That's 100% true, is that, like, by the time I was eight, I was watching stuff for teenagers, and by the time I was a teenager, I was watching uh, Japanese exploitation flicks. Um, so <laughs> it was really... Uh, that's not an exaggeration also. (laughs) Well, it's why, it's why you liked cooler music than
1: me, than me sooner too, because like you had, I had to figure all that shit out as the oldest, like my dad listened to Funky Town every night when he did the dishes, that's not a joke, every night.
0: He listened to Funky Town every
1: night? I swear to, so this is true and insane. (laughs) Like, I didn't think about it was insane as a child, but my dad had a tape, a cassette tape. That was just Funky Town over and over. It was just the same song for the whole bu- backwards and forwards of the tape. And every night his one job was doing the dishes and he liked listening to music while he cleaned. That's something that I also like to do. Uh, and he would play the Funky Town tape that was just Funky Town for
0: 90 minutes. Every single night in the 90s. I assumed you you had like a lips, a lips ink tape. And he just called it Funky Town. You mean just the song? No, nope. he Funky just Town. listened to Funky Town. There was no such thing as there was no such thing as
1: repeat on a CD or Spotify. So I guess if you want, to, if you're like, I love this song, 15 years after it came out, and I want to a listen to it every night and only listen to it, I need to just make take my record of Funky Town, dump it to cassette, and just he probably spent two hours, like you know. Okay, stop. Start the record over. All right, record again for three more minutes. <laughs> Both sides, ninety minutes. So, My dad was a DJ. He has a record collection that is thousands and thousands of records and a cassette collection. He got stuff free from the radio stations. Worked out his entire life.
0: Why? <laughs> why did he just listen to Funky Town
1: for years I in the nineties? I
0: have a theory. So Funky uh, Lips I, Inc. Who made uh, Funky Town? Yep. They're from Minneapolis.
1: Do you think... My dad's, dad... from, my dad's from California. He's never lived in Minneapolis. I moved here
0: 10 years ago. God damn it. You're ruining my theory. I didn't even know they're from Minneapolis. No, <laughs> You're ruining my theory that he was kicked out of the band right before Funky Town came out. So now <laughs> he sits and stews over Funky Town. So this
1: is true. So my dad's favorite band, which we never heard doing the dishes, is Chicago. And he played trumpet in a Chicago cover band for years.
0: That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. He was in the my parents met in the Peace Corps. This is really getting weird, but they met in the Peace Corps and my dad was a DJ at uh he went and renovated their radio station and then just became a DJ at the like one radio station on the main island of the Marshall Islands. And every morning when the he was the only person that would do a shift. He would do it from six to noon and the radio station would play and he would start every day with Funky Town. And then (laughs) he never got sick of that song. It was in the 70s. Uh, And then, yeah, so in the 90s as a kid, I I liked Funky Town because I was 10. And every night, my mom makes dinner, (laughs) does the dishes – the Funky Town cassette tape comes comes out, and he did, he did this weird kick dance every night, which none of it seemed strange to me at the time, Peter. <laughs> like, none of it, because when you're 10, you're like, oh, I get the idea of listening to the same thing over and over, and I didn't know it was a
0: 15-year-old song. But yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, there's something deeper going on there. He's trying to recapture some youth. <laughs> yeah, so eventually, I guess he got sick of Funky Town and found Jesus. <laughs> you know where the real Funky Mass Town is? Dex-
1: it's heaven, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to... Won't you take me down? You don't want to go down. You want to go up to Funky Heaven.
0: <laughs> um, do you think there's, like, a, a housing crisis in uh, in Funky Town? Um they have an extensive marketing campaign that your dad just fucking ate up like a rube. <laughs> they did. did. Uh, we probably have property in Funky Town that we've never visited because <laughs> all of his money
1: went to blank cassette tapes for Funky Town backups. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. So you you didn't have that. Like you didn't have like you had you got cool music. No, my dad but you didn't, you didn't give like, us Funky Town. Uh, well, I mean, but like you had older brothers who were like probably discovering bands earlier where I was, I always felt like I was two to three years behind like what everyone was listening to because we didn't have MTV and like there'd be like a band here and there where people like, I, I think I like was on the ground floor of Weezer because people at, and Green Day because kids at school were mentioning it. But if they didn't, it was like, well, I don't fucking know. I guess, uh, what's played on the radio? The Verve Pipe? Big Verve Pipe fan here. Uh, oh, Sister Hazel! Great. That's why. That's why I think our uh, "Don't You Dare" is so interesting because I really was just like buying these CDs of these like one hit wonders on the radio and deciding I guess I love this because it's
0: better than anything else I've listened to. Yeah, I for sure agree. I think that there was there was a, d- a difference in years, and like my older brother that I'm very very close with is seven years older than me. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, has not accepted my Facebook friend request yet by the way um cool update. yeah right. I mean keep holding your breath Sunny Jim it's an exclusive club <laughs> you know what's not cool 10, ten followers you know what's cool <laughs> no followers <laughs> you know what you know what's not cool one Moran
1: <laughs> as a friend <laughs> on Facebook you know what is cool at minimum of two <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna add your two sisters as friends and be like what's up with Charlie why doesn't he want
0: to add me on Facebook <laughs> Chances are uh, hey, podca- none of them will respond to your messages. Uh, hey, you or know the that reason, or the calls reason for- I'm still on Facebook is because of you and this sickening community that we built around us. I know all these these people that have showered us with nothing but like a uh, support, yeah, love. Yeah, it's yeah. disgusting. They're probably yeah. they're probably uh, Z- Zuckerberg plants. Nobody loves me, Peter. That's not true someone probably does the dog that I give treats to while we record loves me people love treats <laughs> yeah so I I you know it'd be what's kind of an
1: interesting this <laughs> transition back I guess um I'm glad this is just a goof of around episode uh, but I I uh I would be interested to. I have, like, an extra set, so, like, one of the discs of one of the best ofs that I had from that time, like, stopped working, so I bought another one, another DVD copy. So I have, like, two discs from, like, those kind of, like, uh, best of from the 70s stuff. Uh, I, I would be totally interested in sending that your way, Peter, just to see, like just watching just, like, these segments that they had and, like, interstitial puppet stuff and these, like, here's a minute of, like, a catchy counting song that teaches this. I'd be interested if, A, if it brings back any, like, recognition or nostalgia from the time that you did, because I was surprised how much I'd totally forgotten about, and then when I bought those sets, I was like, holy shit, I remember this. Um, and also just, like, what your take on it is in general. So, um...
0: Just I because I did, hot. I guess right now, I, I don't think HBO should have the rights to all of Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone agrees with that. It's yeah, pretty fucking weird, um, isn't it?
1: <laughs> you know how they introduce? I saw uh, they're introducing like a homeless Muppet, um, which good teach kids about like yeah, that's good. I think they do that. Um, I like the idea of like them introducing um, um, a new a new Muppet who. Uh, isn't able to watch Sesame street on, on television because his parents can't afford HBO. They're like, and they're just like, no, all of our adventures have televised. He's like, where I've never seen it. We've, we've allocated our resources much differently to make sure we have food and shelter. They're like, no, this is a, you don't have HBO
0: and that'll teach kids what it's like to not know about Sesame street. Yeah, and the moral wrong it is to not sub- subscribe to the Home Box Office Network. I do think it's like it's a little bit of a catch 22 because I remember did
1: hearing that the you know Children's Television Workshop like did not sell their stuff to Disney, which is why like Kermit's not on Sesame Street anymore, but he is in this movie, which we'll probably talk about at some point. Um and uh and like what they they were having some Again, uh, he he literally doesn't know how to get to Sesame Street anymore, legally. (laughs) Um, um, Legally, he has forgotten the way to Sesame Street. Kirby, why are you so upset?
0: Um, (laughs) Well, Miss Piggy, I looked in our mailbox this morning, and uh, there was a bullet in it. And there was a little note tied to it that said, don't go to Sesame Street. Kirby why don't we have any money? Well, I used to be a news reporter (laughs) and
1: I got (laughs) fired from my job and blackballed at all the surrounding networks. So now I used to be, I used to be a double threat. I used to be a variety show host, which got canceled and a TV news reporter. And now I've got nothing. Can't get a job at like the local Sesame street, public access weather channel or whatever, (laughs) because Disney got them rights all tied up. But yeah, so, uh, but I did hear like children's television workshop, which retained all the rights and didn't want to sell to like a Disney or sell to anyone. Really. They wanted to keep it. um, We're having like some serious, like financial issues because uh, presidents are assholes and keep cutting budgets and people don't watch as much stuff for their drives and stuff like that. So, uh, and their uh, merchandise wasn't as popular as it once was. So, uh, so that like, they were like, oh, to keep the show going, we need something and HBO did it. So that's, that's, that's the problem is like, it's not that I fault HBO, uh, necessarily for doing that or even faulting the children's television workshop for figuring out how to keep the show going in a, with a, with an influx of, of cash. I just blame capitalism for not recognizing that like Sesame Street is an institution and should just like have money to do it, even if it's losing money.
0: Like the How idea much? that Sesame Street needs to make to be profitable sucks. How much does it actually cost to keep Sesame Street afloat? I have to know. Aren't people generally coming I, I don't on don't to know. cameo for free? Isn't it like the talk show racket where people get paid almost nothing or nothing? Oh, I don't. I don't think anyone gets paid to be on Sesame Street. I think these people go on because I mean like, the, the actors do. But like, I don't think like if when John Legend comes on, I don't think they're like, "Here, John." People aren't doing it necessarily to. I mean, they're doing it for a sense of kindness, for Sesame Street, obviously, like a sense of charity and like giving back, yada yada. But like, um, all that bullshit. But like, just because you're on TV doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it for like a fucking payday. So I don't know why. Yeah, know and what also- would also be their big
1: cost driver. Well, I just think there was a time like where there was like mer- – like I actually – Sesame Street merchandise, besides like the insidious like Tickle Me Elmo stuff, like some of the best books that I read to my kids are Sesame Street books, right? Like they have great lessons or they're really good about like th- – they're really good about uh, – like my daughter, my one and a half year old daughter loves her Sesame Street books because they're really good at like teaching something with few words and a lot of good pictures. Like that – they've really cracked that in like a very positive way. So, like, she learns from those books quite a bit. So I've never and, – and also, like, because in general Sesame Street is such a wholesome and good influence, both from a learning perspective and, like, a way to be a human perspective, like, I feel like, yeah, that's a good thing to get people into Elmo dolls. They'll come to Sesame Street and it'll be a good experience for those kids. Like, that's a good thing for kids to be obsessed with. But, like, yeah, they just haven't, like – it, you know, there hasn't been that thing that's been, like, driving people to Sesame Street uh, for, for a while. Um, and then I guess the other thing that really hurt them, though, is that uh, they – so, they they made a lot of money on DVD compilations, right? hmm Because they never released uh, segments of – they never, like, released full seasons because they produced 200 episodes a year that were mostly an hour long until about four years ago.
0: So, like, yeah, they would the just same. pick and It's favorites. like releasing Daily, daily Show on –
1: yeah, and also, like, and this has always been true of Sesame Street because it's that much stuff. You have, like, some, the, there's a lot of repetition of segments. So, like, because there was so much, especially early on, there'll be, like, you know, 10 minutes of, like, on the street and then 50 minutes of, like, all these different animated vignettes and Muppet stuff and this and that. So, like, they would reuse those for years, which is why, like, um, when I was watching discs from the 70s, I knew a lot of that stuff from the 80s because they would put it on the show. So, if you released all that, it would be, like, a lot of repetition of material. So, they would release these, like, oh, here's Cookie Monster highlights and Burton Ernie highlights. And they'd be on DVD and parents would buy them out. But once that kind of DVD boom crashed, um, they, that, they were getting a lot of, I guess, revenue from that as well.
0: It makes sense. I mean, <laughs> uh, the home, especially uh, post-minivan, right? Like, having something you could just, like, yeah. put on in the back of the car to keep – keep your kids busy uh, and they didn't like I don't know yeah if you don't like jump ac- accurately to the like uh, you know app space like where else are you going to pull in cash from that's not cynical yeah yeah and they haven't quite figured that out so like I really like the idea that HBO is
1: releasing every episode of Sesame Street ever like that rules um, that's an insane catalog though like it's very much so Um, but like, yeah, I don't even know how you would go through that. (laughs) Like, oh, I don't know. Do we just spend eight years watching season? Yeah. (laughs) It just feels like a chance to like, people will be like, there'll be some vulture article that like, here's the 50 best episodes of Sesame Street you should watch. And like, that'll be very helpful. Like some of it is just like, feels like good to preserve. Like if they went and said, I never watched the Johnny Carson show. If someone's like, hey, we're releasing every episode on some streaming platform of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, or like the old late nights
0: with David Letterman, you go, cool, yeah. It's good that that stuff just isn't disappearing. Yeah. But even stuff like SNL where you're like, I kind of do want to sometimes pop back and be like, what was the average episode like in 2004 or like, what was it like that when this person was hosting SNL makes that really, really hard because like they cut up musical segments and they only put certain clips on the web and yada, yada, like SNL makes it very difficult for you to go back and like experience the whole of their history. Well yeah
1: and 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 anything that's like daily like that or like close to daily it's so tough because it's like well we're never we're not going to release like it makes sense to me that that Sesame Street or the Children's Television Workshop wouldn't say well seasons of television are popular so every year we're going to produce a 50 disc sat containing 220 episodes of season 29. I don't know. It's going to cost a thousand (laughs) dollars. Like it makes sense that like that was never a viable option for them the way it is for like even a Saturday live, which is still like 20 shows a year. Right. Um, But now that like you can just put it on like a digital thing and it's not even a pay by season. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's one of the benefits of having this streaming platform. You get every Sesame Street uh, episode ever like that's good I like that I'm glad they're available and not just gone forever even if I'm I'm clearly never gonna sit down and watch uh, 10,000 Sesame Street episodes
0: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I just yeah you're right in terms of just like keeping that shit archived somewhere and uh yeah in, uh, in decent repair like it serves a purpose right because uh, as time goes yeah. on the stuff gets left behind uh, even in the digital age but um yeah so now that yeah. we've i think we've talked about like a lot of the overview of what the hell sesame street is do you want to talk about this one specific iteration of it follow the bird yeah let's follow that bird right to the other side of the music break Can do the I do plot the recap? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Peter, by a jury of your peers, you've been sentenced to alternate taglines. Uh, your <laughs> peers are you, who said, no, it's okay. I don't want to do the plot
0: recap. America loves Big Bird, and we love abusing Big Bird. <laughs> yes, we's all about treating Big Bird
1: like shit, but that's what you get for abandoning your family
0: for a bunch of homogenous (laughs) birds. I would say also this film is in the Nothing But Trouble universe. Let's see if you can figure out what I mean by that. I
1: haven't seen Nothing But Trouble. Hmm. Chevy Chase is in both, and John Candy. Mm I feel
0: like the similarities end there. John Candy plays a a highway cop in Nothing But Trouble who feeds... Yeah, I haven't seen Nothing But Trouble feeds uh, children, or feeds children, feeds uh, <laughs> lawbreakers to his, uh, his father, who's a judge. He basically brings them in front of the judge and says they were speeding or whatever, and then the judge enacts vicious and violent punishments on them for uh, breaking the law. Um, unless you are um, the electric underground, um, because in which case you couldn't wrap your way out of your punishment. But Chevy Chase and, uh, and Demi Moore can't rap. Is the Electric Underground from Nothing But Trouble? They're a uh, rap band. A rap band? They're a rap band. Band of rappers. Oh, Wait no, unless you're the band Digital Underground. There we go. Not electric. Oh yeah, I know. I know. Did, everyone knows Digital Underground. There I wasn't sure if
1: you were trying to do the Electric Mayhem or like. <laughs> I wasn't sure what you were doing,
0: uh, but you've combined the two, which is appropriate because you you muppetized it. I muppetized um, it. Yeah. So there. If you're a member of the Digital Underground, you can get out of being murdered by Dan Aykroyd with a dick nose and nothing but trouble. Um, so what I'm saying. I mean, Digital Underground kind of has a dick nose in his video from dance. There's mul- I think that's part of the he's reason he respects notes. him so much. Oh, Okay. Uh, yeah, but I think, movie. To, I think God the reason this is connected to God damn it! This is nothing but trouble. <laughs> is because uh, John Candy is going to take uh, Dave Thomas and the other comedian, and he's going to have them murdered by Dan Aykroyd. Can you tell that this movie was
1: uh, shot in, in Toronto, Canada? In that uh, most of SCTV is in this movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh yeah, I'm I was I was I was had my eyes peeled for a Rick Moranis or a uh Catherine O'Hara or a Eugene Levy even, but no such Yeah, because you got Joe Flaherty, Dave Thomas, and John Candy.
1: Uh and then Chevy Chase, who's not part of them, but it seems feels friendly. <laughs> feels friendly like nice to SCTV. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I didn't mean he seems friendly. I I meant he seems friendly to SCTV, not to anyone else, and probably not to most of SCTV. Um, but I was just trying. to... Do you want to, to recap follow nice. that bird? That's why I, I was ca-
0: mostly recapping. Um, I mostly recapped nothing but trouble. But if you want nothing you but trouble, recap, follow that bird. It is weird. As long as you mention the
1: John Candy thing, because I don't want to have to go back to it. We probably won't have time. It is funny that his form of like policing is. Clearly in the background going, hey, okay, your kid was ripped off at this carnival. I'm going to just take him for a few weeks. We're going to drive around the country until he's on the back of my motorcycle, until we can find the people that did this, and he can identify them clearly. Even though I understand they're just part of a circus, and they have names, and like – they're driving a circuit, uh, something that can transport circus equipment and a Ferris wheel. But just to be clear, I need to take your child for weeks on end. Who knows when it'll end? Really, I'm just going to be driving around, hoping I run into him. But uh, yeah, I'm going to need your kid for a while because they <laughs> your kid because filed a police st- report. T- At the end of no. the police
0: report, it he has to be my partner.
1: Does he want to bring criminals to justice,
0: or does he want to go to kindergarten? <laughs> choose oh kids these days they always want cops to solve all their problems well guess what son if you can't solve your own parents murder then why should i be able to
1: <laughs> uh yeah so the fall that bird begins uh with a uh with the grouch anthem which is unrelated to the rest of the movie but does is a fun song um and then uh it kind of happens everything happens really quickly which is not the case when you're a kid because everything feels longer. And I'm only mentioning that is that I do think this movie figured out very early. Sesame Street, as we talked about, is like a plot that's going on at Sesame Street or vignettes at Sesame Street combined with a bunch of other random stuff. So they didn't do that in the movie. But what they do do is ha- still have everything move relatively quickly and do a very interesting thing of combining all these other characters so that you're constantly cutting to them. So it, it was interesting the way they adapted the spirit of the show. In a straight narrative feature But that narrative feature Involves uh, Big Bird Uh, Well actually before that There's the the, the fine feather friends I'd call him yellow Okay. I don't know why they don't call him Yellowbird That seems equally applicable um, But there's a bunch of birds who are like Hey, this six-year-old bird is living on Sesame Street Without birds He should be with his own kind And so this lady, Miss Finch, is like Great, I'm, I'm going to find a bird family for him That So she goes to Sesame Street Runs into Big Bird And is like, you need to be with your own kind And Big Bird imagines uh, You know uh, sadly a little bit. <laughs> Imagines like what it would be like to have a father and a mother and sisters and brothers. Um uh and that look you know that take him fishing and do fun stuff. And he's like, That sounds great. So he says goodbye to his friends on Sesame Street. He goes to Oceanville, Illinois. Um Is that ocean a real city? View, Illinois. Is it
0: real? I don't know. No, it's it's, it it's like a straight up joke. Because there's no ocean near Illinois and, and Illinois is notoriously flat So, you know, you do yep. not see much no of Got it Got it
1: uh, So, uh, and he gets off the plane And it's, uh, the, the the families are the Dodos And they are Dodos They're like uh, the opposite of at Sesame Street They're, They have no imagination They're not interested in learning They're not interested in playing games They just kind of watch TV And, uh, and do these kind of things I don't know Like, I they don't they, – so he writes a letter to Sesame Street and is like this kind of – a very sad letter. And he decides to sneak out in the middle of the night and walk back to Sesame Street. But because he's a six-year-old, he doesn't realize that uh, New York City, where Sesame Street is, and Oceanville, Illinois is not like just a couple-minute walk. So what ends up happening is that they – it's reported on the news that Big Bird is missing. And so all our different Sesame Street characters kind of go into different groups, into different cars – to kind of take all of the potential roads they think he would be on. So you have people tracking the progress of, say, Oscar's car with Maria and Telly and Super Grover's flying and you have Gordon and Cookie Monster. Uh, and this this is what I was talking about. This kind of allows you to Burt and Ernie fly a plane – you get to still cut to all your favorite sesame street characters who are trying to find big bird having their own adventures on the way while big bird uh, tries to find his way home so he meets uh, some farm people he meets um, uh, uh, he meets uh waylon jennings of course uh, meanwhile so miss pers- schnitzel's run huh yeah so well, my friend Oscar always called me a big chicken. <laughs> don't think I can argue with that. <laughs> Hop in.
0: <laughs> these are all word for word. I could just say the movie. I don't need to do a recap. Peter. I broke a lot of chicken necks in my day and never broke such a big old chicken neck as yours. <laughs> uh, so Miss Finch is pursuing
1: him. And also there is um, these two uh, uh, traveling cheap carnival people who are like, hey, you know, it'd be great. Giant bird. <laughs> Good act for our uh, traveling carnival. Uh, so he's being pursued. They're trying to find him. Eventually, he does get kidnapped by the carnival people. And they're like, you know what people like? Now, again, this is a universe where, mu- where big birds exist all the time. It's not that odd. But they're like, what if we paint him blue and have him sing a sad song about being in a cage? Kids at our carnival will love it. Uh, which they do. And meanwhile, they are able to find him because... Uh, the Sesame Street characters, they they try to break them out of the cage. There's a kind of a chase sequence where they make them jump out of the cage onto Gordon's car, which has been eaten by Cookie Monster. Uh, the circus brothers get arrested. Uh, and Miss Finch, when she goes back to Sesame Street, they do a very nice pan of like the incredible diversity, both in uh, human characters and various puppets and Muppets. Uh, about like, oh, I guess a family doesn't have to be just people of your own kind. And that is the end of the movie. And in between, there's some very catchy songs and a lot of good life lessons and some very funny jokes, in my opinion. Um, Peter, and I think we've talked enough about our history about this movie. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the songs?
0: Yeah, let's talk about the songs, Aaron. Uh, why don't you start by singing uh, a song to me? Well, I found out a long time ago. <laughs> got to learn to say yes when life says no. Now, a lot of the music in this is really good. It's up to it's up to the Muppet quality, the Muppet standards. It's just yeah. that I'm not as attached to the characters, so I don't get that extra little, that extra little bit of bit of gas, you know. So I mentioned on the last episode. So I
1: love. Um, one Little Star has been a very common staple of, like, lullabies I sing my kid. Easy um, Easygoing Day is also just, like, one of my favorite Muppet songs of all time. There's something so, like, happy and charming and, like, bouncy about it. I really, really love it. I think the Grouch Anthem is a very funny way to start your Sesame Street movie where it's literally just, like um, – don't let the sunshine spoil your day. Just stand up and complain. And it is something that, like, Sesame Street, like, the other thing that people like about Sesame Street is it wasn't, like, this clean-cut, like, almost, like, sterile kid show like, like it kind of is now. And, yeah, there was just a character like the Grouch who, like, just said he fucking hated everyone. <laughs> and, like, it's like, yeah, there's people like that you will meet in this life as well. And people aren't an asshole to him. They don't take shit from him. But, like, they treat him with a level of kindness and respect, too. And, like, that's what's so great about early Sesame Street. So, it's a very funny song to start the movie with. I love the Bert and Ernie song. Uh, Ernie is by far my favorite (laughs) Sesame Street character. Um, And I love the Upside Down World. Also, I want to pause on Upside Down World. So, I was – as I was watching that as an adult with my kids, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, so that – they're in a biplane and the, the, the character's mouths are moving. Like they are being puppeted in a non-green ske- screen biplane. So I went and looked up how they did this because I all of a sudden realized like this is fucking real. And yeah, it was Jim Henson and Frank Oz 20 feet above the ground upside down in a plane performing the song. That's
0: That's insane. insane. It's also for something that is like not as remembered, I think, as uh, the main Muppets properties. Uh, It it clearly had a smaller budget than the Muppets movie did. Than the Muppet movie did. Yeah. For all that, they still were willing to like bust ass to make sure this thing looked right. They could pull off a few cool stunts. I don't think it's quite on the same level as the bicycle stunt in the Muppet movie, but like that's still like them. I mean, how many people could have died a neck to do this thing?
1: (laughs) So, bicycle scene is truly amazing, but it's kind of watching this again and learning how they did it. I was like, this feels like it should be talked about a little more because even though the bicycle scene is amazing, uh, there was probably no risk of Jim Henson and Frank Oz dying horribly. On the bicycle scene Uh, But I feel like being Upside down in a biplane Performing as Burt and Ernie Who was flying it Couldn't figure that out for my research But that is crazy
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like just an extra little bit of like, well, you could have faked it. It still would have been charming. Like the show didn't do stunts like that. But yeah, since it's the it's the movie, I, I you could tell that they wanted to pull out some extra stops. Uh, the, the the amount of cameos in this thing is pretty pretty crazy. Um, though obviously, like it's, it's similar to any any cameo based movie of the time, like certain cameos <laughs> age better than others, you know.
1: There's not, there's not many, because two of the cameos are actually just main characters in the movie. Yeah, that's true. Like Dave Thomas. And, and So otherwise, it's Chevy Chase, John Candy, and then two people at the Grouch Diner. Uh, can I guess who your favorite cameo was? Sure, go.
0: Paul Bartel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah <laughs> it's uh it's uh, what is it it's the not the chopped salad the house salad what is it what's the joke Duh. two toss salads! two toss salads <laughs> and then he's firing it from a cannon and, yeah. and guys I, you'll never believe this since he's firing it from a catapult the, the salad doesn't even get to the t- get to the table let alone the bowl on the table like <laughs> it's just good stuff
1: it feels like yeah it feels like So I feel like you are, again, being a little bit of an asshole.
0: That is (laughs) very funny. No, this was sincere. I sincerely find it very funny. It is very funny. And and again, a perfect,
1: like, little, like, well, very might be. It was definitely very funny to me as a kid. And also a little scary because that is just, like, a when you see this movie when you're, like, you know, a literal little kid – like the idea of a diner like that existing, where people
0: yell at you and throw food at you, is very scary. Um, that's very threatening to me. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna be honest. I think, um, I think maybe the weirdest cameo for me is Sandra Bernhardt being in this movie. Because <laughs> well, with Paul like, Bartel, they put him at the Grouch Diner. Like, for some reason, Paul Bartel feels more kid friendly, despite the fact that, like, I don't know, it's fucking. It's it's that, there's so there's some pair in the '80s
1: that are like that are like oh you like that I got another movie with one of those actors have you seen Eating Raoul <laughs>
0: <laughs> but with her I'm like I just think about her for, as Masha from King of uh, King of Comedy, Comedy. and uh, I think and King of Comedy would have come out before this I think was King of Comedy '83 and this is 85? yeah King of Comedy was '83 so it was like two years before that so I'm thinking about her as like that. This was well before she like You could do a mini marathon of Eating
1: Raul, King of Comedy, and Sesame Street presents Follow That Bird and actually have like some thematic connection. And we'll throw in nothing but trouble. You can't you can't do it. That does not relate to the other two. It's it's um it's a movie of the two people that worked at the Grouch Diner. The chef, <laughs> the waitress, and their respective
0: movies. Um but yeah, I think uh I think the Joe Flaherty and Dave Thomas stuff is is pretty pretty cute in this movie. Uh, it's a lot less annoying than it should be. Um, but it does feel like they were just because like – they're funny. It does feel like they're like, well, you know, we'll have a few funny lines here and there. But the, the Muppets really are are the source of comedy here. So, like, talking about the humans is, is interesting in all these contexts because you're like, oh, yeah, it's cute that, you know – uh, it's cute that Philip Seymour Hoffman dropped by to say hi to the Muppets. But uh, at the end of the day, like I, I'm a la- I'm laughing at like some weird non sequitur that Kermit drops. Not like uh, the fact that like they got, uh, I don't know, Philip Seymour Hoffman to reference Capote in a Sesame Street sketch. I tried to think of something extreme, but they probably did something similar with a, a similar like Oscar bait movie at the time. Oscar buzz, I should say not bait. Well, you know, the other thing that, like,
1: movies aimed at kids can do a really good job is still having, like, jokes that are, like, just legitimately funny. So, there's two jokes I kind of want to highlight that I think speak to uh, this movie being, being like, it's not, like, laugh out. Like, I don't watch this and, like, ha, <laughs> ha, and my kids don't either. But there's enough things that, like, I find amusing. Like, I love something that didn't seem funny to me as a kid at all because it just felt like an adult yelling at a child. But is very funny in retrospect, and as is one of the funniest parts of this movie to me now is the part at the beginning when she says, when uh, Miss Finch is telling Big Bird, like, "Okay, we're leaving. Don't look back," and he he walks forward because he's a big bird, and he crashes into a bunch of garbage cans and knocks him over, and he just like reactively. Uh, tries to like figure out how much damage he call caused and Miss Finch looks back and goes, I told you not to look back. (laughs) Like, like that, I, that as a kid, it wasn't funny, but there is something about someone who's such a stickler that like, oh no, under any circumstances, I didn't mean it as a saying. Like I didn't mean it as an expression, like, yep, we're moving on. Don't look back. Like I literally meant, even if you crash and make a mess, looking back is not acceptable. So (laughs) I find like that very funny. But, like, as a kid, one of the jokes that was really funny to me um, was when uh, Bob asks everyone, when he's laying out the plan to go get him, and says, any questions? And Oscar says, yes, what is the capital of South Dakota? And, you know, to me, that's kind of now eye-rolling as an adult. But as a kid, that was the funniest fucking thing in the world because I had never heard of that concept before. That concept being of, like, almost like Zucker Brothers comedy where someone could say any questions and another character would assume that they, like, take them literally. Like, oh, I can ask any questions now. And that was the funniest fucking thing in the world to me just because, like, that type of joke hadn't been introduced to me as a two- or three-year-old. And also, like... That's what speaks to, like, Sesame Street is, like, that wasn't a joke that's aimed at kids. That's a joke that's aimed at, like, you're going to have to do a little thinking to get why this is funny. Like, you're going to have to stretch a little bit to understand the joke is that he didn't really mean any questions. And Oscar is purposely taking them literally to be an asshole. <laughs> um, and, and that's what I always really liked about Sesame Street. It made me work a little bit. To um, understand Both jokes And um, and even like Obviously just like concepts as well but
0: And those jokes are delivered as like Joke punchline which like I, I think uh, And they give you Sometimes a little pause in between so I think Like for a little kid it's nice it, 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 It's like it makes you feel More adult to at least have yeah uh, The concept of a joke as opposed To oh this is just silliness which there's a lot Of just you know straight up silliness um, But Like Uh, cookie-eating a car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, you know... But it's so funny. I just need need someone to fucking explain it's not a car. Okay? (laughs) Um,
1: And I also really like the... um, Like, I like... There's the, the joke of the Upside Down World, which is always why Ernie was such a funny character to me, is, like, they're looking for Big Bird, Ernie's the one that's singing this goofy song, and then the second he gets Bert to join in... And like experience some joy after Bert's like, no no no, please don't make me do this. He's like, come on, Bert, it's fun. He finally lets loose a little bit and then gets blamed for <laughs> losing Big Bird. And that was like that that was the Ernie and Bert dynamic, is always why those segments were so funny. Because like looking back, it is like super mean. <laughs> that but that was their I think their dynamic was that they were always friends, even though like Bert was an uptight dude. And Ernie was this, like, practical joke-playing person. I don't know what lesson there, but it was always super funny. And it is Jim Henson and Frank Oz playing those characters. And, yeah, it just it, – there wasn't anything quite like that, you know, at such a young age. It's like, oh, the you're going to – the
0: thing about this guy is that he's just an asshole to his friends. <laughs> like, that, movie that's kind of it. <laughs> The movie loves uh, leaning into leaning into uh, Oscar, though. Like clearly, whoever yeah. was writing the script was was a big fan of uh, of Oscar. And the person who was writing the script was uh, Tony Geis and Judy Friedberg. So, do you know who these two were? Uh, no, Me I'm assuming you know and are not just. Oh, you don't know? Uh, No, I I know. They were writers for Sesame Street all the way going back to early 70s, mid 70s. Um, They were writers going back to like the mid 70s. And so they kind of jumped at the opportunity to to write this script. Um, And so it is like written. It's not like they were like, we need to get big Hollywood talent. Like they got like, they got, like, uh, you know, writer-writers um, that had written tons and tons of episodes of the show and had written some specials. They were written for, like, the Land Before Time movies as well, which is interesting. So mm-hmm. the two writers behind say- this movie, um, like, uh, clearly had a lot of love and affection for the characters. And it also, like, if, you, if you're that way, you also are going to pick favorites. So Oscar getting extra screen time to me is kind of sweet because it's like they wrote yeah. every character, probably. And there were, like, Oscars getting, yeah. like, his own big chunk of jokes.
1: Well, and uh, obviously something I never would have thought of as a kid. But to me, watching this show where you know that these characters aren't real but expect a level of consistency from them. Like, it, everyone felt like they were their characters. Like... Behavior ticks, the way they said stuff, like no one felt no one felt like, oh weird, they made Telly a, a super brave dude all of a sudden. Like everything matched from the show I was watching literally every day, because it was on every day. Mm-hmm. Um So I you know didn't notice. You know who they You know who they originally were trying to get and was very close to directing. Uh who? Oh,
0: John Landis. John it's, Landis. It,
1: yeah, yeah. I gotta tell you, if that had happened. I don't think Bert and Ernie make it out of that plane (laughs) a (laughs) lot.
0: (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're doing one more take. <laughs> uh, um, um, Bert's agent says that um that if he's not doing another take until they get the, the, the safety inspector out here to take a look at the biplane and make sure the pri- <laughs> get that fucking plane off the ground it's and get those two fucking muppets <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah. Here's what is weird about it, though. Wait, that would have also killed Frank Oz and Jim Henson, right?
1: Yeah, he would have killed two adults and two children. <laughs> Here's what's crazy though. This movie, he didn't so Twilight Zone the movie was released in 83, shot in 82. This movie came out in 85. It tells you like how much that didn't really affect John Landis's career initially that like they're like, "Oh yeah, the the guy who literally killed two children on set, maybe he should direct the Sesame
0: Street movie." <laughs> Uh, yeah, he he literally, and he literally turned this down to go do Into the Night, or I think that's the movie. Um, yeah, movie a different movie. Remembers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should probably be
1: a bigger scandal that Children's Television Workshop and Warner Brothers try to get John Landis after killing children to direct a movie featuring quite a lot of children aimed at
0: children. <laughs> uh, can we park here really quickly and note that yeah. Big Bird is a Cardinals fan? Like, come on. I mean, it's a it's a bird-based team. He only has 15 to choose from. <laughs> It'd be weird if he was just a fan of like <laughs> like <laughs> um, it's so
1: it's so weird that that whoever named like baseball teams were like birds probably. Let's make that the
0: majority of our teams. Animals are at least 70%. It feels very 1920s though to me though, right? He flew like a bird. A cardinal, in fact. Oh, <laughs> you, like, or, Oriole was probably a slur. <laughs> yeah, we're, ta- we're Baltimore. We're taking back Oriole. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really like Big Bird. Is this the point where I say that? Uh, so I think as an adult, you, you
1: should probably like Big Bird. Um, and I don't mean that, like, if you don't have nostalgia...
0: First, at least you could agree Big Bird's better than Elmo. Elmo's not in this movie, but... Elmo is, like, like it, if they com- pitch-shifted uh, Big Bird and then made him uh, 30% whinier. Well, like, so Big Bird is not, like, a good
1: character for a 30-year-old. Like, or Burt and Ernie, like... Well, no, I, I'm just saying, like, Bert and Ernie, Oscar, like, they, were, they weren't the main focus of the show, right? So mm-hmm. it was... Um, it was always like they, those characters got to be funny or weird or I, – I really like the scene where they're breaking him out of jail because it literally is a scene of like a bunch of uh, people with some um, some disorders that aren't on the DSM-4 all trying to silently break people out of prison. Like, oh, the guy that can't stop counting and the guy that's like, I want to break my friend out of jail, but cookies. Like, <laughs> this is like a drug addict thing. But, um, like, I really, I that's, that's all very funny to me, but they get a little more space to be funny. Like, Big Bird is the person who is learning all the, like, like, Oscar doesn't learn lessons usually on the show. Bert and Ernie don't usually learn lessons on the show. Like, Big Bird is the stand-in for the kids watching the show. So when you're watching the show and you're four or three, Big Bird is exactly the audience – the the stand-in that you want. It's a six-year-old. Like if you – like you – you shouldn't like six-year-olds that aren't your kids because five and six-year-olds are like whiny and annoying and frustrating. And if they're your kids, you have to like f- – and it's the worst age too because they are – understanding all the things that big bird is, is understanding uh about like life and death and morality and all that stuff but also they're just also kids so yeah uh big bird is like if you if you have no nostalgia for him but like i don't like like big birds he's not funny he's not interesting but he is a good stand-in for like Three, four, five, and six-year-olds watching Sesame Street*.
0: I mean, that's a good—that's a good point. Uh, I mostly watched him as uh, a character that I needed to protect. Where I was like, "This is this is somebody that needs to go back to their family." And then I focused on yeah. literally every other character. But like, is it bad? Is it bad to say that I find Big Bird's voice very annoying? Um, here's what sound, really sounds super like Big Bird is a, is both a six-year-old and a 60-year-old with a Percocet habit.
1: I think that's what he... Beca- so his new... Whoever's the new voice is even worse. Oh, wait. Per, wait, I, Big Bird I, isn't dead? No, he's not dead. Um, but, like, he, like... He is, like, an 80-year-old man now and, like, can't do the Big Bird voice. <laughs> Carol Spinney. So he, like, slowly phased out over a few years. Um, uh, where sometimes he'd be Big Bird and sometimes someone else would be Big Bird. Um... And now he only does Big Bird when Big Bird is horny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a randy old man. <laughs> then get Carol out. Yeah, it is. Uh, the new voice is pretty whiny, too. What's super, like, so I bought the audiobook Street Gang, um, which is, like, the oral history of Sesame Street, and I'm, like, I ended up returning it because I didn't realize it was, like, heavily abridged because um, it's, like, a 600-page book, and then I got the audiobook, and it was eight hours, and I was like oh this seems off how like how big are the words on this? <laughs> um but uh i also the other secretly the other reason i returned it is that i was like oh carol spinney's narrating great the voice of big bird um that voice even without the little extra he does for uh playing big bird is not a good voice to listen to an audiobook with <laughs> uh it is uh it's just like I don't want to be like, oh yeah, his voice is annoying, but uh, yeah, like his cadence, and probably that's from fifty years of playing a a six year old puppet as your main like speaking voice. Um, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't a good experience, Peter? But
0: I don't I don't find Big Bird's voice. The voice is just kind of heady and, and strange. Like it, it's um it does it sounds like someone with a Percocet habit. Like ha hi. <laughs> Hi. Ha, how are you? That's why yeah, doing an impression, doing an impression of him is very difficult cuz it's just kind of his voice. So yeah, like, and the, and when you do an impression, you have to lean into the creepiness of it because the, the that breathiness of it is to me to me it indicates a child who is uh suffering some sort of serious breathing condition. Yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I so I actually don't find Big Bird's voice annoying cuz it's like it's just it's something at this point I just identify with Big Bird, who uh, I've heard talk for my entire life, essentially. But I, I will I will stand firm that I find Carol Spinney's voice annoying. That's the hill I'm going to die on. Big Bird, not annoying.
0: Actual actor. Because that like you're not necessarily supposed to identify with Big Bird when you're an adult man. But but the like the, the fact is I'm following him around a lot and just feeling very sorry for him, which I think is something that'd be a good transition point for us, which is that this is a very sad It's a very sad movie, right? It's 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 a very sad movie. Just following around a child being uh, given the hope that, you know, maybe this other home will be better for me. And then slowly coming to the realization that that's not home for him, even though he has all of his needs met. And then he has to go out on his own in the big scary world to get back to his old old home while people are trying to stop him and capture him inside various other places. Like he's literally being detained by a circus and. (laughs) Yeah. So as a kid though,
1: because you're looking up to big bird, like even now watching this, this movie, like I don't feel like protective or scared for a six year old because like he seemed older than me, it's kind of like when I watch, I don't know if this happens to you, Peter, like but when I watch a show, even now, like if I watch Say by the Bell or Full House or something, like a show where all the characters for the most part were older than me when I watched it, they all still feel much older than me. Like if the first season of Full House, like Danny Tanner, uh, Bob Sack, he's like 28. I'm 36. I watched that show. Uh, and I still look at those adults on the show that are like, oh, they must still be like they, they still read as older to me. So even now, like watching Big Bird in this movie, as dumb as it is, like the way my perception works, it's like I don't feel like I no longer I don't look at him as like a six year old. He's just like, yeah, it's Big Bird um, because I just spent so much of my life viewing him as like older and somewhat in control, even if he made mistakes and and had to learn but there is a part of this movie that is was incredibly anxiety-inducing uh, to me as a kid and was the scariest part so when he goes to the dodo family and um, he is like expecting affection from his new parents and like you know a kiss goodnight getting tucked in and stuff like that and they're just like the concept of like showing affection to your kid is, like, so foreign. They're just like, yeah, uh, great. Like, shake your hand. Good night. That stressed me out incredibly as a child and still, as an adult, those feelings of just, like, I want this part to be over still pop up because I I do... My parents made, made a lot of, like, mistakes and, you know, like any parent and definitely went on the crazy side as they got older. But, like, I never felt like they didn't love me, right? Like, I always was, like... Um, that was never a doubt in my mind so the idea of like going to a house where like your new parents are like h- showing you any f- form of affection no you're just like our our, our bird kid like no thank you <laughs> tuck in and like the way that Big Bird is just like longing for the touch of some some emotional connection in the
0: world is like was very anxiety inducing in a way that I couldn't like verbalize obviously at that age but You're seeing yourself in that perspective and that sense of vulnerability where you're like, I'm I'm not taking love as a given. I'm asking you for it and I'm not getting it. Yeah. Um, And just the the, the, yeah, I'm doing my best.
1: I came here. I'm trying my best to fit in. I know we're a little different, but at least like show me the courtesy of like, you know, tucking me in at night.
0: (laughs) Feels like the minimum. I moved to your house. I'm six years old. It's, hard. it's so hard to talk about because I don't have kids. With any sort of case of, like, children being relocated or children having to have, like, surrogate parents or temporary sort of, like, parental figures or something like that, um, I feel like it's, like... It's like sad to see a kid ask for something, ask for some level of affection, and then not get it. Because like kids are usually not aware of their feelings to that level. They're just like and for Big Bird. He's not really aware that he needs like that kind of affection. It's just that he's like asking for it because he's like, well, this is our ritual. This is how the night ends every night. Is that yeah. one, of the, one of the many strange people in my neighborhood comes into my house and kisses me goodnight? Yeah. I mean, it's usually Gordon or Bob. Gordon or
1: Bob. Yeah. Uh, Maria, sometimes. Sometimes uh, Maria. Susan. So he has sort of a swinging uh, relationship with parents. He does. As an adult, like, if you look at that concept, essentially it's a six year old who is being raised by a neighborhood, but not in any sort of like, m- like, that's fine. Like, great. Uh, a close knit, like, apartment complex who are all friends and hang out all day, raise a kid. Like, I'm not here to judge what your family dynamic is, but he has his own house. They just come and visit. And then in his, in his mind, he's like, oh, maybe I should have parents. And then he goes to parents. Uh, it's, it's a little weird as you write it out on paper and, like, map it out. Like, huh. Like, again, I get that Sesame Street was just trying to have a point of view character for its audience. But interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just not particularly attached to this set of characters, I think, is one issue. Um, Can you rank them Gordon, Bob, Maria, Mr. Hooper? Yeah, like I don't know who any of the adults are. Linda? Um, They're all, I know Maria is, I know who Maria is. um, Hmm. is, Why do you know that, Peter? (laughs) Uh, um, um, Because I remember one particularly memorable scene in the film. Uh, Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I remember who who Maria is, and then the rest of them is, are uh, it's completely irrelevant to me. They're just they're just the older adults. Um, because that's just not something that was baked into me. So watching this movie, I was just like, what's this weird neighborhood going on where everybody is, is <laughs> just fighting to get across the country to save one child? Like it's, it's, it has its own like, it has its own odd weight to it. Um, that I was just not comfortable with. All those adults I have no, well, but no I... prior relationship with. <laughs> that sounds like you're, like, telling the cops something.
1: <laughs> you know, no, all those adults, no seen. prior relationship. No. I didn't know that they were communally raising a six-year-old. <laughs> no. No prior relationship.
0: Um. I thought everything was strictly on the up and up. I thought they were babysitters. I didn't know he had his own coop. Um.
1: <laughs> he lives in a nest not great I did no relationship with those adults uh uh but uh no I mean like I I think it's it's a it's an 80 minute movie right like I don't have a lot to dig into I, I really like the I, I, I'm glad we got to talk about like Sesame Street as a whole it's such a you know, kind of important part of my life This movie was as well And I'm glad we were able to cover it this month And like, as a, there are a lot of good, like, funny moments Great songs, thrilling moments I think the part of him, like, having to, like, jump out of the back of the car As a kid was very thrilling Whether it's, whether I still think it's thrilling Or I have those nostalgia tendons of, like Is he gonna jump? It's so dangerous Like, I still get, you know, I still think that's an exciting scene uh, even as an adult. But, like, moving into final thoughts, I think one of the things I really appreciate about Sesame Street and, like, Mr. Rogers and all those kind of, like, shows, especially, like, I, you know, I grew up mostly in Montana and North Dakota, which is not a diverse place for the most part. Um, but, you know, they've done all those, or some studies about, like, uh, representation matters not just because of, like, you want to, um, you want to see people that, like, if you're not a white, straight, cis dude, that you want to see people that look like you at, like, on TV, but also like, it benefits everyone. Like, there's those studies on, like, how, like, being uh, being exposed to, like, uh, TV featuring people that don't look like you actually makes you, like, less likely to be racist. And they're again, they're not definitive studies, but about, like, the parasocial connection to, like, our television characters. And that's why, like, Another good reason why representation matters. So, like, watching this movie and realizing it's about, like, not being into your own kind and, like, that incredibly expansive pan of, like, as an adult feels like hitting the nail on the head of, like, here is how diverse Sesame Street is um, with a long pan of all their characters. That was something that as a kid I didn't. I didn't recognize. I didn't go like, oh, I get the message this movie is showing. I, I couldn't have told you what this message of this movie was. I just thought it was an adventure for a Big Bird, learning to not go live with the Dodos. But, like, you realize now as an adult that, like, it was in an incredibly exciting, funny, humorous, exciting movie-filled way. I realized I said exciting twice. Like, <laughs> teaching me a lesson I didn't even realize that I, um, I knew I was learning. And that's what watching Sesame Street probably was to me. Like, I I, and Mr. Rogers and all these things that were like, I liked watching TV. I liked being entertained from a young age um, by watching TV. Like, I know some kids aren't as connected to the TV. I was like, more TV all the time. But the shows that I were watching were not just like shaping my education in a way that I was probably learning stuff about like what letters and numbers meant in a way that I wouldn't have until I was a little bit older older than two or three, but also, like, teaching me lessons about, like, what kind of person to be. And I I said something on the first episode of this month where, like, kind of jokingly that I would distrust anyone that doesn't – that dislikes the Muppets and Sesame Street. But, like, I truly appreciate Sesame Street as an adult looking back in a way that – it taught me how to be like a human being and a hopefully a moral person and someone who uh, treats people for their character as opposed to like, you know, uh, who they were born into or anything like that. And also like even the people that suck, like treating them with a level of humanity, like Oscar, Ernie, like it wasn't like uh, Sesame Street was filled with squeaky clean, like people that always did the right thing. It was about accepting everyone and treating them with a level of kindness and respect and trying to help understand what they needed. And these are a bunch of things that I've, you know, hopefully continued to be as I've grown into an adult and a parent myself. But like looking back, watching a lot of this old stuff, I realized how not just how like important Sesame Street and – mr rogers and stuff like that was to me to get there as and be there as a, as i grew up but also in the way they did it in in a way that like a two-year-old recognizes who doesn't understand diversity who doesn't understand representation who doesn't probably you know understand all the different ways that people can be different um but in like a in a in a way that is teaching you subtly like yeah Anyone can be your family. Your family is the people you surround with. And you should accept anyone to be your family. And, like, all these things I just didn't realize that it was even teaching me until I was older. Well, I just like the catchy songs and the bright visuals. Like, it, I I don't feel cheesy saying that I feel like Sesame Street, this movie and everything connected to it, like, made me into a better kid, a better person, and, like, made, is, is somewhat... Partially, if not um I don't know what the percentage base is, but definitely it has a has a big influence on the person that I am today
0: um, that's really well put, Aaron, and I think that uh there's a I think you're you're gonna carry most of the weight for this episode when they find out it comes out <laughs> Sorry, all the um, weird Japanese gore movies you watch also turn you into the person you are today. <laughs> because they were from other countries. <laughs> Um, You know, we had different ways of not becoming racist, and mine was watching movies (laughs) about uh, women with tentacles. And uh, yours was (laughs) apparently about a neighborhood where birds can be your neighbor. Um, But uh, no, you're going to be doing child birds, child, child birds that are bigger than you. So at the beginning of the episode, I jokingly titled this uh, There's No Wrong Way to Make Family, referencing the 30 Rock joke. But the thing (laughs) that actually does resonate with this movie and the the sweetness of it that translates from the whole like Muppet verse um, is is that sense that even if Oscar the Grouch is a huge fucking asshole and Bert and Ernie, probably they probably have a lot of stuff to do. And uh, I don't know what Maria does, but I imagine she's free. Uh, they all came together to uh, bring their family back together. Maria's married to Lewis. Oh, well, it sounds like her and Lewis are probably able to <laughs> spare some time to go find a big bird. I don't know anything yeah. about them. Um, their internal lives don't exist. The only internal lives that exist are <laughs> if you literally have a hand inside your skull. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not to dehumanize the humans on the Muppets, are on the ses- on sesame street uh and then humanize the things that are being puppeted by humans but uh the the level of care that this film puts into its its characterization of um the, who these characters are um kind of helps catch you up for people like me that i i didn't i'm not really like attached to any of these characters in particular um and that that level of care character, to that characterization shows a lot of love for the characters. And that sort of love is also translated in the plot of the movie, which like I said, was about a bunch of, a bunch of weirdos that all live on a street. They're apparently some sort of odd commune, um, They all came together and wanted to... They created a family for Big Bird, and then they wanted to reiterate that family with him um, when he was sort of... He both rejected and um, was rejected from, in a sense, uh, that family, um, his bird family. Um, So I'm... Though I'm not particularly attached to this movie, um, I do find it to be a good sense of of perspective a sense of contrast almost with uh what i love about the muppet movies um and that's not to say there's no commonalities its sense of humor is very similar it's very funny in a similar sense um but it shows that just because uh i don't have a particular set of nostalgia for these characters doesn't mean that i can't appreciate the sweetness and the the, uh i can't appreciate the genuine sense of sweetness that this film is pushing out into the world um and in 80 whatever minutes 85 minutes uh i can sit and enjoy that sense of sweetness and that wholesomeness uh even if uh, i'm a little bit outside their target audience not just in terms of age but also because I'm, i'm not that nostalgic for it um the only thing i'm not nostalgic for is um the count um when the count starts Going through the end credits of the show or the movie, uh, I mm-hmm. usually watch end credits, um, and I stopped the movie then because um, it was driving me fucking bananas trying to read the credits in this movie with the count counting it. So uh, you know, Big Bird, I've I've grown a little bit of appreciation for because of Aaron's pitch, but I want to say at the end of this that uh, I'm an enemy of the count. Um, I will slay him, um, and I, I will would, put him yeah, into I make into a of grave. Vampires. I'm just saying that the Count is a creature of the night that has somehow learned to walk during the day and that uh, he should be slayed. Do you think the issue with vampires is they can't walk during the day? <laughs> he's uh, learned, yeah. He's learned to walk. Like in your vampire oh, oh. mythos, their legs <laughs> stop working at during the day? Uh, yeah. And then they, they, they don't find nice shade before the sun comes up and then they just have to that's why they there. sleep in coffins oh just rest Ugh. my legs <laughs> my, you pull a hammy with the sunlight out <laughs> 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 and they have to drink blood and you know it's really hard to
1: drink blood sitting down yeah they need you need, gotta be stretched legs because sometimes you gotta pounce you can't you pounce, pounce. If, you lay, if you can't walk yeah we can do like
0: lunge I gotta, you say, lunge. You gotta I, I, I gotta say, you gotta pounce I gotta say, you've indicated in this episode that the count is somehow teaching children how to read, and I just don't think that's true. I definitely didn't say he was teaching children to read. All right, so teaching children how to count, <laughs> and I yeah, it, it's certainly a byproduct of what he's doing, but I think he clearly has some sort of issue going on, some deep seated issue. Uh, as you said, that the DSM cannot quite classify <laughs> and that it happens to have the, ha- the happy, uh, happy accident uh, to quote another ch- uh, another uh, inspiring figure for children um, that uh, it allows children to count in order. But I think for the count, it's just a, it's a disgusting disease, but it, it's maybe the only way to distract him from uh, eating people. I
1: do really like that
0: the writers of this movie,
1: I think, had enough of a sense of humor to go and say, "Hey, you know, it'd be funny if they had to, if the count was trying to, uh, they were trying to break someone out of prison, and the count couldn't stop counting keys <laughs> because even though, uh, even though uh, it's a serious moment, and they're trying to free, free his their friend." Um, it's not so much of a thing he does because he likes counting. It's actually a a real compulsion holding him back. Um, so I think that was nice.
0: I think they. It was nice that they were able to clarify. Are you familiar with the the one of the ways to defeat uh, vampires in certain folklore uh, involves uh, throwing rice in the ground? Oh yeah, I have heard that. So because they have it's to also counts. Uh, yeah. So do you think it's that prob- secretly the children's television workshop is providing enough distractions for the count? He <laughs> doesn't kill him all? So he doesn't murder...
1: Keep counting stuff, buddy! It's fine. But see, that's why they're so accepting. Because they're like, even a murderous, blood-hungry vampire will just keep him occupied. That's something he loves. Counting yeah. stuff. If you've never seen this, probably don't bother. If you have kids someday, watch it. Show it to them. They'll love it. If you're a child listening to this, I'm assuming you're living in a coop being parented by a commune of an apartment building next door. Uh, check it out. It's good. Uh, next week, we're wrapping up the Muppets Take November with uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, I don't know why, I, I, I sounded like I was saying someone's name named Carol, uh, which I didn't mean. Uh, and we're joined by the person who started this month out, Ethan
0: Warren. Yeah, that's going to be okay. very exciting. Ethan, uh, I was not say, as Ethan was obviously, as as Aaron referenced, uh, on the first episode of the month. And uh, we're <sighs> going to be, I think, extremely, uh, extremely positive about uh, Muppet Christmas Carol uh as we were about previous muppet movies um, also also if, if you are a six-year-old living in a coop i apologize for the language that we just listening to this episode i'm very sorry that's been a general um, general theme of this month has, has been muppets for adults. The la- i I swearing a lot our,
1: of inappropriate stuff
0: our muppets episode with, with uh douglas was uh filthy i believe filthy
1: yeah that was anyone sometimes we do episodes on movies we both love and under the circumstances of recording that we're like we definitely did it justice the first time and the second time is a lot of goofy inappropriate bullshit uh, because of happenstance Uh, I imagine like in the same way some people talk about the Starship Troopers episode of Blaine Check is like one of the most frustrating because they talk about throwing up for 45 minutes and people were really psyched about Starship Troopers, I feel like that the Muppets episode we released last week might be one of those episodes. (laughs) We do talk about what Kermit names his dick and went into a very detailed explanation on, like, how Gonzo fucks all those chickens and didn't talk about pretty large sections of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So anyways, yeah, next week, Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, Ethan said he might read the book, which I thought would be funny if he meant the Muppet Christmas Carol novelization, but I guess he means Christmas Carol, which is, instead of being very funny, just rubbing it in our faces that apparently it's time to read a fucking Charles Dickens novel.
0: Anyway. Christ. We'll talk about that next week. Good night. Uh, did we talk about how in uh, the Santa Claus trilogy, uh, the, the wife's <laughs> name is Carol? Three hours.
1: Uh, we talked about all three movies, Four Peter. Hours. I assume we oh. and I said good night.
0: We- good night. Are we allowed to plug no. stuff that we did last year? We'll good never night. <laughs> sure you will. You just gotta keep going. Pick up your feet. Follow your beat. Oh,
1: I don't know. Listen to me, son. Oh, I found out a long time ago.
0: You gotta learn to say yes when life says no. Don't dwell on the bad times once they're past That kind of thing can get you nowhere fast Cause there ain't no mountain you can't climb If you hang on tight and just make up your mind Once you set your heart to moving on Son, there ain't no road